Welcome to the Yanagita Podcast Show, episode 54. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a special guest, somebody that I grew up watching and just a, a big inspiration for me, especially from Hawaii. And uh, I, I, Ensign, correct me if I'm wrong, you're also second generation Japanese American? Fourth. Or first, your parents are from Japan. No, well. fourth, fourth generation. Oh, fourth generation, fourth. Yeah. And so uh, third, yeah. Third. Got it. You know, he's a huge inspiration, pioneer of mixed martial arts and actually was doing it way before it was cool. I mean, this was back in the nineties, <laughs> right? Back in the nineties. instant. I like how you said that way before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, this is just, I'm like fanning right now, but people are probably curious. How did you get started in mixed martial arts? Well, you know, Hawaii, living, growing up in Hawaii, there's a lot of street fights. A lot of stuff in Hawaii was solved uh, by, let's go take it outside, you know. So I got started in martial arts just so I could defend myself in the streets. Wow. And so what martial art was that? Was that jujitsu or was that? Well, if you want to talk about my very first martial art, it was karate. Really? And I, I think I lasted like three classes. I think I was seven. <laughs> I was seven years old. I got tripped by the teacher and ran out and never returned. <laughs> ran out crying, must I say. <laughs> wow. And so how did, I remember hearing a story that you were rolling with Yuki Nakai at the beginning or something like that. How did you get to that point in Japan? How well, actually, to, to reverse everything, I, I started training all different types of martial arts, you know, from Wing Chun to Muay Thai to Jet Kundo to Taekwondo. And I was just um, on this forever quest of trying to find this the style that was best suited for the street so you could defend yourself. And of course, you know, in, when I was in college, I ran into Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. And, you know, when I found Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, man, this, this, it was it was an art for um, the street. I mean, it was, it was applicable the very next day. Uh, you, you actually could do things to friends. <laughs> and then uh, and, and eventually you could do it to uh, assailants who, you know, threatened you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, well, my first three months in Grace Jiu Jitsu, really interesting because I learned a lot of the technique and the positioning, but never really uh, um, had a chance to, uh, you know, try it out in the real, the real life, you know, situation and me and my were on our football trip mm. we got into a where we got into a car accident with a friend was driving for us and we got into a car accident and a a big alpha oh, i mean i remember he had like huge traps <laughs> i think we were we were racquetball players so we're probably about uh, 185 pounds and this guy must have been at least 230 and he was wow. pissed, man. And he came out and um, he actually went for my friend. Oh. And I was actually, you know, like hour before that, I was actually in the room telling Egan and telling this guy, Guy, that Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in action, um, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu doesn't matter how big you are. You can <laughs> submit people, you, you know, I mean, like giving this little, you know, the spiel that they give on the, you know, the Gracie seminars, the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in action video. And then I'm standing there an hour later in front of this huge black guy that wants to literally kill my friend. And I'm thinking wow. to myself, I'm going to look real stupid if I don't do anything about it. So I decided to try and escalate. 
And I stepped in and I told the guy, you know, Egan was already across the street on the phone calling the police because of the accident. He saw how crazy the guy was. And so I kind of told the guy to, you know, calm down. The police are coming for him to come. And he was pissed and he didn't care. You know, he, he looked wow. at he looked at me and he goes, Oh, who the fuck are you? And then his aggression came to me. Long story short, he ended up attacking me. I ended up taking him down, ended up mounting. He turned his back. It was, it was exactly what um, Helsing Gracie told me what would happen on the street. Wow. I struck him on the mount. He turned his back. I sunk in the choke and put him to sleep. Oh. And it was funny because I remember um, holding the choke and at that moment thinking to myself, man, does this shit work, man? I hope this shit works. <laughs> Cause I had to choke in and they would, they said stuff like, yeah, you, you go to sleep three to five seconds. I got to go to sleep. And I'm thinking to myself, shit, I hope this shit works. This guy better go to sleep, man. And right when I was getting to this point where fuck this shit don't work, he started twitching. Wow. And he was out cold. Yeah. So, you know, Incredible. right there, I was hooked on Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Um, that's actually what got Egan really interested in it too. Wow. So and you said that was three months of training, three months, three months of training. That is man. incredible. Yeah, wow. so I was at that point, you know, of course, you know, you, you, you're in there and you, you know, you're talking like you're so confident. And then when the, the, the shit actually went down, I, I really was like, holy shit, I hope this shit works, you know. So, yeah, it, it, you know, it worked out. And um, I got, and the reason why I got to Japan was I actually went there for a racquetball tournament. Racquetball? Yeah. And then oh. my life was, I was like a, my life is so lucky. Everything happened perfectly. Like I didn't plan to stay in Japan. Uh, I didn't plan to run Egan's racquetball company. I didn't plan to make my own racquetball company. I didn't plan to run a gym. But as I was in Japan, I decided to stay up there to learn the language. Because as you know, in Waikiki, if you have the Japanese language, you can find very good jobs there. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to learn the language, go back with the language, and I'll have a good job. As I'm learning the language, I have to find a job to be there. So I teach English. I'm teaching oh. English. And as I'm there teaching English, Egan comes out and tells me, hey, I, why don't you take over my racquetball company for me in Japan, run the Japan division? Because his records are really popular in Japan too. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then I'm thinking, okay, but I always wanted to go home. But now that I have the racquetball company, I have to make that sturdy before I go home. So mm -hmm. I think, okay, I got to stay a little longer. A long story short, I'm already at four years. The racquetball wow. company gets sturdy. I have to. I end up having to quit the English job because I got too busy with the racquetball business. Found the guy that I thought I could trust, and I said, "Okay, I can hire him. I'm going to go back home." And I just got this um, whole thing about you know controlling your emotions in in adverse situations. Mm -hmm. As you know, panic can make the simplest things hard. And if you're not able to control your emotions in um, very heated up situations, there's a chance you might not be able to save yourself or save the loved one. So, mm. you know, because I did great jiu-jitsu, I was good friends with Hickson. Hickson mm. came in 1994 to fight in the Volleyball of Japan. And I, when I watched that, it, it, what, what surprised me was that when Hickson won, I lost total control of my emotions. I was screaming. I was out of control. Wow. And I was thinking to myself, wow, this would be a perfect way to practice controlling my emotions in case I do get into a situation that I need it one day. So I, right there, I thought I had a big quest of getting into the ring. 
Because wow. I thought that if you're watching a friend fight and you're getting that nervous, can you imagine the anxiety you have being the one in there? Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm, I've got to, okay, I'm, my whole mission was getting back home. I used to love to dive. I used to love to surf. I'm going to, I got to get back home. I got to get back home mm. to the ocean. And I thought, okay, but before I go home, I'll get in the ring once. And, you know, in, in Hawaii, you know, Dennis Alexio was fighting in Hawaii, but it was very mm. hard to get into the ring. You really had to pay your dues to get into the ring. So I thought like in Japan was, it was a lot easier. So I went on this little mission on calling all the different associations to find out which associate I can actually gain that experience to get in the ring. And I'm thinking just one fight now. And the only association that I called Pancras Rings, UWF, and the only association that was really open and said, come down tomorrow was Shuto. Mm, Shuto. Yeah. Yeah. So I went down to Shuto. I went down to the gym the next day. The founder, Sayama Satoru, was sitting in the office. I told him who I was. I, you know, I said, I'm Anthony Noe. I've done Gracie Jiu-Jitsu before. And I'd like to, you know, see if I can, you know, have experience to get in the ring. Wow. And he goes, oh, okay, come, come on here. You want to spar? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll spar. So he has this, there's this little guy in the gym that's uh, working out by himself. Because it's, it's like in the afternoon and the mem no members are there. Mm -hmm. But I guess that guy was just using his free time to get some extra work in. And he calls the guy over and the guy's about, I think about, uh, about 65, uh, 65 kilos, about 140 maybe. And he's a mm -hmm. lot smaller. I'm thinking, shit, he wants me to wrestle with this guy. So I said, <laughs> oh, okay, whatever. So I get to wrestle. I can tell the guy he knows what he's doing. Oh. But I also understand, I also noticed that he didn't understand the positioning of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. So I pretty much had my way with him, mounted him, took his back, you know, um, and you know, that coming to that first question is that guy was ended up being Nakayuki. That's crazy. And how long were you training at that point? I mean, uh, was it a few years? I was or? in Gracie Jiu Jitsu about two years, I think. I had a blue belt. Wow. But I was, it was actually stagnant because the four years I was up there, there was no one to train with. Oh. So I think I might have been the longest blue belt ever. You know, it's years. I was years in blue belt. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wow. And so that's that's incredible. So that's how you got your first fight. And so the first time you're watching Hickson fight, that's crazy. Just, the, just your mindset, I admire so much because it's just so rare. It's like a real-life samurai. You know, it's uh, it's unbelievable that Yamato Damoshi, that, 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 goal and it's uh and especially going into it so obviously you kept training jujitsu and did you keep were you able to train jujitsu in japan or did you come back home because i know eventually well, you got well, your... in japan yeah japan mm -hmm. they didn't understand jujitsu so i was actually teaching the guys oh. so teaching that i um trying to get someone at a level enough that i could actually get good jujitsu sparring but uh, between then you know every time i fought i would fly home the Shuto Association was very supportive of me. And they, they paid my way home wow. to go and train. Yeah, so the Shuto Association paid my way back home. And I would wow. train at home. And Jiu-Jitsu was a big part of my training because my whole base of my fighting ability was on the ground. Wow. So it sounded like you were training at Helsins. And was that at the university, the, the UH campus? Yeah, at first um, he had the yeah he had the in Studio Four he had uh, the classes uh, three times a week. 
Wow. And two times a week, he would actually have everyone train in his garage where there was actually more sparring. Oh. And that was when he lived in uh, right by Kalani High School. Wow. Right up the hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I, I attended everything. I attended his group classes in, in UH and I attended his garage training. And, and even on Saturdays, I had a bunch of guys like, you know, James Tanaka, Coffee. They, I called them on the side. There's another guy named Lawson. He was really good. But we'd, we'd meet on Saturdays, rent out oh. the studio and, and spar and just roll. <sighs> I was hooked, man. That's incredible. James Tanaka. Wow. And so you were training with Helson and you'd go back to Japan and fight. And you were doing that for some time. And I remember in a previous, you were talking about you eventually moved to Japan. Was that I was somewhere? actually in Japan. I just traveled back and forth. Oh, back and forth. So I was actually fight. based in Japan. Yeah, I was actually based in Japan. Wow. And what was that like back then when you were fighting in MMA? I mean, like, what was that like comparatively to, I mean, it must be much different 25 years ago. Yeah, well, first of all, it was called NHB. Yeah? Oh, it's hard, yeah. No holds barred. That's what it was called. And other, some people call it human cockfighting. <laughs> Um, when I was fighting, half the United, half of the United States uh, deemed it illegal and it was banned. So when I fought in UFC 13, which was the last uh, UFC that they allowed bare-fisted, um, mm. they, they had a hard time finding a venue. So we actually had to go to Augusta, Georgia. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it was like a three-hour drive from the airport to Augusta. Wow. We had to fight in Augusta. You know, and you know, back in that day, you know, the fighters that fought in that day, I would say, are, are true martial artists. I mm. mean, it, today today you have a lot of true martial artists in it, but most of the people are sportsmen or entertainers. Mm. You know, when, I, when we fought, it, was, it wasn't understood. It was still like barbaric. It was still like, holy shit, what the hell is this? You can punch on the ground. You can, you can stomp the head. You can soccer ball kick. You know, it's like, what the hell is this? So... The guys that actually got into sport were guys that were really trying to test themselves. Mm. You know, nowadays you got guys getting into a sport because it'll make you famous. It'll make you rich. If you do really good, you can make a living. You can buy a house. You can, you know, you get sponsors. You know, there's a whole different motive now. Mm. For us, we had no money. There was no sponsors. There was no fame. It was literally the martial art about going in that ring and testing yourself against another man. That's incredible. You know, and that's why I think growing up watching like the early UFCs, the prides and just, I, I remember your, it's almost like your arm, that arm bar that you set up so well <laughs> from the guard. I remember it was, uh, I mean, there was a multiple times, but there was the Randy Couture one. And then the, even in the UFC 13, if I'm not mistaken. Right, that was, uh, yeah, that arm bar. Oh, oh it's like beautiful. Oh my goodness. And yeah, especially you know, it, back it, then. Helped, it helped that people didn't really understand it then, so it was a lot easier to pull off. Mm. Nowadays, so much people understand the arm bars and the defense to it. It's, it's hard to get it that clean anymore. Oh, my goodness. So you were in Japan, um, and then I remember also there was a huge fight with uh, was the Russian guy, uh, Igor. In, I, is that, yeah. Igor Machanchi. Yes, that was... I, I mean, I right watched, then. yeah, I love your interview and just your mindset after the fight. It's just like a true warrior, like 
gosh, like I, <laughs> that's when I was realizing, oh man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta talk to this guy. I gotta shake this guy's hand. And even like in Honolulu, um, when I was in college, we, we would train at uh, the UH studio, uh, except it was James Tanaka and uh, Homolo was there. Oh yeah, and Homolo, so, yeah, Homolo yeah. was there when I started, yeah. Oh, okay, so yeah, the, the, the two of them. And so, and then they would say like, oh, there's the Inoue brothers. And, and I was like, what? Who, who? You know, I was like, oh my gosh. And, and then I started digging into different things and I was like, wait a minute, is that the guy that was fighting in Pride and from, from Hawaii? And I was like, oh my God, it is so cool. <laughs> yeah, Homolo, Homolo and James is probably the two guys that really um when I was when I was up in the coming up, I was, I was good, my good sparring partners. Wow. Homolo and uh James. Oh my god. And you know, this is probably something people don't know much, but uh, there was a I know you did an ADCC uh submission grappling with uh was it Mario Sperry? Yeah, it was a super fight in uh, 1998. Wow. I was invited to uh, participate in the super fight. I wasn't in the tournament, but I was uh -huh. in the super fight. Yeah. And I fought Mara Sperry because I think he was the, the year before he was a champion. Right. And so I was a challenger coming up from beating Randy Couture. Oh. Like, that's how that's I, the got same it. Time. I actually got that. I got that fight by, because I beat Randy. Oh, wow. And... It's just so crazy because I was looking all over the internet trying to find if it's somewhere like like archived. But how, how did that go for the people watching? <clears throat> I so I um I I I say you know uh, Morris Perry is uh, the Zen of jujitsu. You know he's the man. You know so I knew he was better than me. I knew if I uh, you know just playing regular jujitsu, he'd probably really be a lot better than me. So I was I was actually thinking that. I take him out of his element, and he he did. I know jujitsu people didn't understand footlocks at the time, mm. so I was thinking of actually getting to a footlock. But you know, when we did that, when we started, you know, he got into. I try to, I got into a clinch, and I tried to throw him, and you know, his he has good balance, and it's a lot harder to throw people who's using shifting their weight good. So I ended up throwing him and landing on the bottom, wow. and that's pretty much how the whole fight ended. He. What he would, he did he was really smart. What he would do is he would um he would he would be on he's in my guard. He would put it purposely let me wrap one leg, huh? So then he then he'd be out of my guard. I mean, I like almost like I got him into my half guard, and then he would he was good enough to swivel and get his legs out and two points for passing guard. Then he put his leg back in. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> So, wow. but you know, it was it was really hard because I, I, you know, as good as Mario was, if he wanted to hold me, he probably could have just held me the whole time. So, I was hoping mm. that you know he tries to advance and mount and submit me, then mm. I would have that time to you know catch him in a, a little opening when he's creating space. So he didn't move, and so I, I remember talking to him in the match. I said, "Hey, Mario, man, you're you're good enough that if you don't want to do anything, this is how the fight's going to end, man." And he, I remember him looking at me and said, hey, you're too dangerous, my friend. So wow. in a way, I was frustrated, but it was a, it showed a lot of respect for me. Mm -hmm. And I think he, he ended up beating me like, I don't know what it was, 12 to, 12 to 0 or 12 to 12 0 or something because he kept, uh, it didn't look like a 12 0 match because all he was doing is putting his leg in and getting it out. But <laughs> statistically, he, he scored like 12, I don't know, even might have been even more than that. 
Wow. Just keep pass, put your foot back in. Wow. Yeah, real smart, real smart. And I was dumb enough to keep putting, putting, wrapping up the legs again, thinking that, oh, okay, let me put full guard now, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. I was realizing that, shit, (laughs) he's just freaking getting points on me, man. (laughs) Oh, man. So what happened between Blue Belt and Black Belt? For the people listening, I know we we're just talking about blue belt earlier. Now we're at black belt, competing high level uh, under John Lewis. And uh, so, in, when I got I got my blue belt through Helsin, and then the reason why I got my purple belt was because on one of my trips back and forth, I went to a racky ball trip. That street fight I told you about. When oh. I came back and told Helsin that story, he gave me my purple belt. Wow! Isn't that cool, man? Back in the day, it wasn't about doing a referee's clinic. Paying your dues no. at the IBJJF, how many years you have to train? Oh. It wasn't like that. It was like, oh, street fight, you won. You applied the, the techniques on the street, you're a purple belt. Dang. So that's how I got my purple belt. Um, Egan, uh, as you know, won the, the roads and the purple belts. Mm-hmm. So Egan won the worlds. After he won the roads, there was a time when Egan and I went to train at the, the Machados in California. Oh, and when we were traveling, we went and sparred with the boys there, everything. And then as we were sparring, I remember at the end of sparring, I remember Hegan mm-hmm. telling Egan that, hey, you won the worlds um, in the purple belt. You should be a brown belt. And then he looked at me and he said, oh, you're the same level as Egan. You put in a brown too. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm a brown belt. <laughs> <laughs> and Dang. then uh, kept training under the uh-huh. brown belt. And then when I finally, um, so we were with Helsin and Helsin actually um, in Purple Belt, we're with Helsin. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we broke away from Helsin is because he had a problem with Egan. Egan uh, videoed some type of seminar we did and they didn't like him, you know, they, they thought he dubbed it before giving it to them. I don't know what really happened, but they, Hickson had a, you know, bit bad vibes with Egan and he told me to pick Egan or him. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, of course, huh. you know, my choice was Egan. So I, I, I had to, I, I left Helsin. And because Egan was training with the Machados, I kind of started training with the Machados. That's how I got mm. my brown. Mm. The Machados were really awesome to us. Mm. But, and uh, there was a big Pan-American riot. Have you heard about it? It was at Kaiser High School where we had a Pan-American event and there was a riot between us and the Gracies. I did, only, only through like stories. That's so crazy. So yeah, how- well, that happened. Yeah. Wow. And what happened with that was, you know, um, John Machado was there uh-huh. and he stood by us. He stood by us through the whole thing. Huh. And uh, all the Greases are pissed, you know, had Helsin there, had high-end Grease, had Hawks in, they're all pissed off. And, wow. he, you know, Higgins stood by us. And the next day, Higgins came down to our gym to talk to us. And Egan took the initiative saying that, you know, he really appreciated the, the, the loyalty that Machado showed us. But... He also said that he didn't want to put them in that position where they had to fight with their family because they're cousins, mm. yeah, the Gracie's and Machado's. So we, Egan made that choice um, and told John that, you know, we're going to break away because we don't, we're causing too much hassles for you guys. Mm. That's how we broke away from uh, the Machado's and oh. we were good friends with John Lewis and John Lewis kind of took us in and started working with us. And that's how we became under John Penadaris through, through, um, John Lewis. Wow. And the way I got my black belt was because I beat Randy. Oh, wow. So, wait, what year did you start training jiu-jitsu? Because that was in 98, right, Randy? Yeah, Randy was 98. 
I think, oh, I don't know, man, because uh, <laughs> wow. when I got into, I started when I was college, so I think I, the first time I went to Grace Jiu-Jitsu was 1986. Ooh. Yeah, it was 1986. Wow. When I first started training Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, what a journey. When I moved to Japan, I didn't even have anyone to train with, so there was that, that big, long, like, four-year break span that i didn't have any training that's right and you know what's so unique for people listening that don't really know what jiu-jitsu is like it's incredible because people might think oh my god that's a long time but it's just so incredible to that 12 years minus that four years and wow that what a journey you know it's just i just really admire you know what, what you've done with just from being from hawaii fighting in Japan, overseas, all the things that you do and currently doing. I think recently, uh, what was the organization? Ryzen, Ryzen. And I saw, um, uh, what's, the, what's, your, what's, what's his name again? Um, Sudario. Sudario. Sudario, yes. And uh, that's just so inspiring. He's so young too. And, and uh, he's so lucky to, to be training together with you. And, yeah, uh, I actually got introduced to him by uh, Saliva Konishiki. Konishiki? Yeah, he actually called me and asked me if I could work with the kid. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so incredible. was a good, uh, like a mentor to me because when I went to Japan, he was, I think when I got here, he was already here like seven, ten years, I think. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But he was already here for a while. So a lot of stuff, the problems I had in Japan, he would always help me with them. He always before he came to he came to most of my fights. He was wow. one of my biggest fans. Yeah, so when he heard that this uh, this sumo kid had to retire from sumo, wanted to fight, he 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 taught me thought of me right away and said, "Ensign Ben, I need you to help me train this kid." So that's how it all happened. Wow, and I know I know he's still. He, he just had a fight and I think three fights so far in. That's incredible. Four, he had four, four fights now. Nice. So he's doing pretty good. He's picking up pretty good. And how old is he? He's only 20. He just made 24. <laughs> I know, man. He could be. He's wow. like my son. That's incredible. Yeah, just watching like the like the videos from the, the Ryzen and everything. It's just like. You guys look like father son, honestly. <laughs> yeah, just everyone like says that. How you're pushing him and how you're so connected and how he like trusts you and it's just it's so beautiful to see that. Um, it's a good relationship, yeah. Yeah, and so I just wanted to take a question from one of the guys listening. Um, his name is John. He asked, "What did the previous generation of fighters?" Uh, do well and do better than today's fighters of today? I think the previous generation of fighters were fighting for honor. Mm. There was no shit talking. I mean, it was all, what I really liked about our generation was that you, you got it as it is. If I didn't like my opponent, I didn't like my opponent. It was, if I didn't like my opponent, I, we're, I was talking about him in a bad way. After the fight, there was no hugging. There was no handshakes. Mm. You know, it was it was real straight up. Right now, it's like, you know, you see these guys talk and scream at each other. And after the fight, they're hugging. And it's like, okay, what was mm. that all about? You, know, you don't know what you're really getting, you know? 
So wow. I mean, I mean, and as far as the entertainment aspect of it, it is it creates a great excitement, and it does create you like, oh, I want to watch the fight. But it, it's almost like uh, you know, watching a movie or watching pro wrestling. Mm. And I, I, I understand. I'm a hypocrite because I understand that that's the reason why MMA is so huge right now is because of that. And if it was just martial artists, it'd be pretty boring, you know, <laughs> no shit talking, you know. But I do. I'm, I am a little sad that it's moved away from martial, art, martial arts. Mm. It's actually had two changes already. Yeah, from, from martial arts to sport. And then now it's from sport to entertainment. Wow. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. See, I can't really say I hate it because I do enjoy the shit talk and watching it. <laughs> but wow. it wasn't something that would happen in my day. It wasn't something that I would do or it wasn't something that I would stand for. Oh, you know, and that's so true because you wouldn't, you would never hear fighters doing that back in the day, like back in the, the, like when you're fighting, even in pride, like you wouldn't hear that all like the, uh, like yourself, Noguera, the Fedors, it was just like, oh, I'm just going to go in there, do business. Uh, we're going to see who's the better guy. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> like what you're saying now. And there's, if there's any shit talk, like Vanderly Silva and Rampage had some shit talk going, oh. that wasn't bullshit. That wasn't mm. a show. They went at each other in the ring. And you know what And what, what you guys don't see is backstage, they have to keep them separated. Wow. And then they, there's confrontations at the hotel. If they run into a hotel, it's fucking happening. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not no bullshit. You're not trying to sell the fight. You're not doing it to hype the fight. The mm. fight's over. They still want to freaking get at each other's throats. Wow. Yeah, that's see, and, you know that that's how it was in that day. Yeah, because you don't see them hugging after. It's just like boom, and that's it. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And so I don't what know, was... you know, you know, is that good or bad, man? Because <laughs> the way the way it is now, it's it's an entertainment, man. It's it's exciting. You know, I I enjoy watching the fights. I I tune into the press conferences because you know I, I really was excited about the Connor and uh, Poirier press conference. Why? Because they go back and forth, and I wanted to see how much of a dick Connor would be, how Poirier <laughs> would come back trying to be more cla as classy as he could, still, you know, taking the shit that Connor says. You know, I mean, there brings a, an excitement to it. I, I admit, I admit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> what, what, what did you think about that fight? I mean, with the how it ended and with the foot, the guillotine attempt. Um, I I didn't know what happened in the beginning, but when I saw the foot, I, I assumed it was from him kicking a Poirier's legs. But when now when I see, I, I think um, the coach for uh, Extreme Couture, Eric mm -hmm. Xan, his mom actually pointed out the fact that there was an up kick that Connor kicked, and he kicked his foot hit. Um, it was right before he stepped back. He kicked a kick up kick, and it hit um, a Poirier's elbow. Oh. Yeah, and then looked like that's where the the um, the ankle was compensated. Yeah. Oh. But, you know, was, I, you know, it's all part of the fight. You know, you can't, I mean, Connor can't say that he didn't beat me because, you know, he didn't cause that injury. But, you know, it doesn't matter what happened. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you slipped and it was a freak fight or accident. I mean, Anderson Silva kicks his leg. It's still a mm. loss. Man. You were defeated. You know, whether it was a freak accident or not, that's part of the game, man. You, mm -hmm. you can't say this. I can't consider it a loss because... You're going into the fight accepting that. The guy might have a lucky punch. He might mm -hmm. throw you the wrong way. You might go unconscious. You might kick his leg and break your leg and lose the fight that way. You know, it's part of the game, man. So 
to say that you didn't lose is, is just, just an excuse to try and keep the hype going. See, that's, see, that's an incredible eye, too, seeing that whole upkick thing. Wow. Yeah, I know. I was wow. like, bro, I don't, because I didn't see that. And when Eric Nixack posted on his Instagram, I was like, wait a minute. And I looked oh. at it, I was like, holy shit. So I actually wrote a message to him. I said, hey, your mom should be hired by the, <laughs> the Athletic Commission to judge fights. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, it's just incredible. Like, and, and just want to step back into that whole pride and rise and things. Because isn't it the same CEO that's running the boat show? Or... Yep. Yeah. He's the same guy. Huh. No, actually, the, the, the guy who used to do all the legwork, his name was Kato. He's no longer with them. Got but Takakibata, the, the main guy, is a, it's the same guy. Oh. So it's pretty much pretty pretty much here. People in Japan consider it a, a part of pride, you know, like pride, the, the continuance of pride rising. Wow. Because there were other organizations. I remember there was a dream and then there was uh, something else too. There was a bunch. There was dream. There was a Sengoku. Sengoku. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was a whole bunch of the different little ones that came up, but never really lasted. Even the one that I fought in on my comeback was Astra. Oh, that's that right. one only was a one and done. Yeah. One but they were done. actually I tried trying to have more events, but it was a one and done. Wow. What yeah. is the state of MMA in Japan now? Because I know 15, 20 years ago, it was huge. Is it starting to when feel like it's was happening? Back? It was huge. Pride was when Pride was in, it was huge, but it's on the rise again. Rising is doing really good. It's on the rise. It's not near what Pride used to be, but it is coming up and is creating. They're creating their own stars, and there's a lot of excitement. So it's yeah. definitely on a very good upward swing. Dang, you know this is this is just so crazy. Uh, and so we could like talk forever, and like I just I just wish I could just grab over and just shake your hand and thank you because. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, shake. yeah, I, you know, people listening probably like Justin's like so into like fanboy today, <laughs> but, no. uh, be on a serious note, just, I just want to acknowledge you. Um, you know, you get, you probably get acknowledged a lot, but just acknowledge you for coming on and sharing your stories and the, the mindset and the willingness and, you know, just being real. And, uh, you know, the other thing that I think really, I remember as a teenager looking in, I was like, wow, that's incredible. I think there was a story about you were standing up for, or I, I don't know if it was you're standing up for a friend or some, someone did something wrong to you. And it was a mix up with the Yakuza or something in Japan. And uh, I just thought like, wow, this guy is like true to his word and just guns, you know, just does it. Uh, there's a lot of stories like that. Yeah. There's when you said that there's like, the first thing that went in my head was, mm, I wonder which one. What, what so I had a lot of run-ins. Oh. I had a lot of run-ins. I have a lot of high-up friends right now, but they're also also guys that I had run-ins with. Wow. And I, I always, I always uh, remembered that I would stand up for what was right. Hmm. If my friend wasn't wrong, I would I would stand up with him. If he was wrong, I would, I would let him know that he's wrong. And then I would talk to the, you know, whoever's pissed at him and, and try and negotiate something out. So... Mm. Yeah, the, the Yakuza, the higher up guys, they all, they, they live by their word, their honor and their word. Mm. So as long as you stay, stay on their straight line and you don't do things wrong, um, you can't go wrong. I mean, I've beaten up three of them already that, that, that uh, backstabbed me or, or lied to me. 
And of course, when that happened, the higher ups came out. And wow. when they heard what happened, they, they backed down. So, Dang. yeah, I mean, some of the situations I get into, it's, it's, um, it is, uh, I'm not saying that the Yakuza aren't powerful because if they wanted to, they could come and kill me tomorrow. Mm. You know, they had so much power. Um, of course, I'd probably, they wouldn't take, they wouldn't get me without me taking down some of their guys first, but um, they could easily do it. And sometimes when I'm getting into confrontations with it, there, there's that little fine line that, man, is this worth it? And if it's, you know, if it's about just, you know, taking, helping a friend and then risking your, everything I have here, you, you look at it in a shallow sense like that, it isn't worth it. But if you look at the, the fact that you, in your heart, the Yamato Damashiwi has to do what's right, no matter what the consequences, if it's the right thing, it's the correct thing, you stand by it. And that's what I chose. I, you know, if I don't stand by what I believe is right, I won't, I'll lose my, my, the pride in myself. Mm. And, you know, a man without honor, a man without pride isn't a man at all. And, you know, you know, they have that saying, yeah, I'd rather, um, I'd, I'd rather die. Uh, I it was, I'd rather die tomorrow than live on my knees or something, you know, something like that. Mm. And that's kind of what it is. You know, I'd rather die than have to live by breaking my honor, breaking my word and being, being a, not a true man. Dang. That could be the mic drop. That's so deep. Wow. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, you know, the other reason why I really want to do this podcast on top of sharing with everybody, you know, especially all the, the new current MMA guys is, um, and our audience on Maui and Hawaii is that I just, I just feel like I'm benefiting so much as well too. just listening. And, you know, so one more time, I wanted to uh, acknowledge that and, you know, we're wrapping into it. What do you want people to know if this is the first time hearing about you? What would you want people to know about you? I know we, we did the whole 30 minutes. Um, I'm just someone that um, I'm not, I'm not like that special, but I just hold a very um, strong sense of uh, integrity and honor that Lamata Damashi allows me to, you know, I, I, call, I say that I live the way of, Yamato Damashi is a way of life. So, you know, it, con it considers of one compassion, compassion over others, helping people in need. The next one is loyalty, to be loyalty to all your friends and family. Um, it's uh, honor, to have honor in what you do, with, you know, and integrity. So those four values are the values of the Yamato Damashi way. And, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not anything special. Uh, I just live my life with, in that that way I, I walk the road of Yamato Damashi and you know some people don't understand it you know they can they can look into the word I also have a book you did you um, where are you located you're located in Hawaii are you still in Hawaii yeah I'm Maui oh you're Maui okay okay mm -hmm. um I'll um have you read my book not yet not yet okay I'll um when after we're done with this you send me your address Oh yes, and I'll, I'll send you one of my books. I'll I'll, I'll actually have her. Um, I'm not in Hawaii right now, but I can have my wife. That's she's running the shop right now. But I can have her send you a book, it, oh, and I can sign it later when I meet you because we're gonna meet someday, right? Yes, sir. Oh man, but, um, dude. <laughs> I'll send you that book because um, the reason why I wrote the book wasn't because I wanted to make money or wanted um to be famous or anything. I'm one of the most misunderstood fighters in the world. Mm. and my way and my thought process of my mind the you know the way i think 
is people don't, unless they get to sit down and talk to me, they will never understand it. Yeah. So that book know, covers all of that. It tells about my fights, tells about the stories of my life that's molded me into who I am today. So I'll awesome. send you the book. So it seems, it seems like you're really interested in that, you know, that mindset. Yeah, so I'll thank send you the you. book so you can read it and check it out. Oh, man. Thank you. And, and for people listening, if they want to find the book, where can they find it? I think it's on Amazon or, or Amazon? go to my I, Amazon or um, I have a bracelet company. Okay. And it's, you know, I make, I make the, these power stone bracelets. Oh, wow. And it's a, the, it's real easy to remember destinyforever.com. Got it. Yeah. We'll you put could, that if in the link. Interested in that, look on that. It has a lot of my, um, my, my media stuff, uh, stories about me. And it has, uh, the bracelets that I make has, has, a. Uh, you know how you can um you know it, it, tell, it has a lot about me on that mm. so if you if you go there you can order the book there you can order bracelets you can check it out check out my story got it oh my goodness and so for people listening if they want to reach out to you and where, where can they find you is it social media somewhere um, yeah i uh i'm not the type of guy who has anyone do my social media um, platforms i do it all myself when you get a when you get a message or an answer from from my Instagram, it's me. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. I mean, as you know, that's how you reach out to me on Instagram, yeah. Mm -hmm. So those three platforms I'm on, and I also um oh yeah, I'd like to uh, let you guys everyone know I have a YouTube channel now that I'm just starting up. So we're doing a lot of you know this type of talks mm. you know, about my mindset. I just did one uh, why I started fighting, and it goes into depth on why I started fighting. And it's totally different from the fighters today. Hmm. So that's going to probably um, be uploaded tonight. And it'll be a new uh, um, episode on my podcast. So, you know, you can check out my podcast. I, I answer and look at all the comments, even if there's a hundred of them. I look at all the comments. So, you know, like and subscribe my uh, YouTube. I'll be mm -hmm. putting up a lot of content throughout the years. Nice. And uh, your podcast is called Yamato Damashi? Yeah, Yamato Damashi podcast. It's, it's, I mean, it's a podcast, but it's not a podcast because it's huh? just on my YouTube channel. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. And so and so you're in Japan right now. Is that where you are? Yes, I'm in Japan. You're I've in Japan. been in Japan for 30 years. So I just go back Ooh. and forth. <laughs> 30 years, bro. 30 years. Wow. So you've been in Japan more than you've been in Hawaii at this point. Yeah, I, I left when I was oh. 23. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Do you, so when you guys train is, do you have like a, oh, you have all your purebreds. Why don't I do a quick shout yeah, out? Purebred gyms. Yeah, yeah. We train at purebred gyms. Yeah. yeah. So you founded that a while ago or? Yeah, I founded that. Uh, whew, that was in 1997, I think. Ooh. Where was the first one? gyms around the world. Yeah. Where, where was the first one? The first one was in uh, Omiya, Japan. Omiya? Yeah. Wow. Saitama. Yeah. Are you still around that area now in Saitama? Yes, I'm still around the area. That's awesome. I'm in Saitama. Yeah, I saw oh, a lot of wow. area. Oh, wow. And so that's where Sudario goes to train? Yeah, so Sudario was actually living further away from me. But when he decided to train with me, he's actually moved five minutes away from me. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, yeah, so yeah. he's right down the street. Yeah. Wow. So we can train every day. That's incredible. 
Well, you know, Ensign, I want to just thank you so much again for your time. I'll get you the address and everything. Please follow this guy. Check this guy out. And uh, we'll put all his links, the YouTube, the Instagram, the social medias. So please thank check you. out his stuff. Uh, that I really benefited from this. And um, so did everybody else. So thank you so much again. And thank you guys for tuning in. Like, comment, subscribe. See you guys in the next episode.